Good morning, church. Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 21. Um, the gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest of all the gospel accounts. But it's clear. Uh, nothing the other ones aren't, but Mark is succinct. He is uh, he just gives the details. He shares what needs to be shared. And he's sometimes a little short and quick. And uh, we're just taking a look at who Jesus really is. As we lead up to Easter and we're in the season of Lent, as we talk about and think about our own um, mortality, our own need for God uh, to come in and give us life. And we're looking forward to Easter when we can be together as a church. But um, Mark is talking about Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God is here. The time is now. The kingdom is at hand. It's the central message of Jesus. And we don't really get an idea of what the kingdom of God is until chapter 4. And last week we talked about the parable of the sower. Jesus talked about this being the gateway parable. Well, today we're going to look at three, four metaphors about what the kingdom of God is. But before we do that, I want to pray. I want to pray that the mystery of the scripture, that the Holy Spirit would just invade us this morning. And I also want to give us time to be in silence. As the snow falls uh, around us this morning, uh, may this be a moment of of letting the sediment in your life, and the noise in your life, um, in your head, in your heart, um, just fall. And we can hear from God this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning, and there's so much that is rattling around in our heads and our hearts expectations, fears, frustrations, some brokenness, some sin. God, I want to just give us space in the next few moments just to be quiet and let things settle. Jesus, as we approach the word, would you awaken us from our apathy? Would you challenge us and convict us in, our, um, in the ways we've been living our own kingdom? And will you show us what it looks like to, in a fresh way, surrender to what you're up to in the world? We pray these things in the name of name of Jesus, who saves, who rescues, who forgives. Amen. Okay, this morning, today, far, farmers, uh, dirt, and uh, lamps, because that's how 
the kingdom of God is communicated. And, um, you know, like many times I think that uh, many of us would just like, hey, just give it to me simple. Uh, what does God want? What is God up to? And I think what happens is a lot of times we just want a simple explanation, but the kingdom of God is not simple. And so many times Jesus uses word pictures and metaphors to communicate that. And the question is, why does he do that? And I think the important thing is to understand that so many, um, so many rich and beautiful things uh, get lost if we were just to have a simple definition. Just a simple uh, definition or statement of what the kingdom of God is. And um, it's kind of like this. Tell me, if you were to tell someone about your spouse or your kids, um and what they mean to you in one sentence, how would that really, how could you really do that? I mean, unless you're really not that happy with them and a one word will do, but the point is, is that to explain something with so much meaning and so much history and so much richness, it takes more than a definition. Sometimes it takes a picture or a metaphor. And the reality is that the kingdom of God is so counterintuitive to the way our world operates, how power structures are, how, how people um, live and accumulate and consume. And Jesus is trying to get the message across of that the kingdom of God is totally upside down to the way that we're formed as human beings on this planet. And so he begins uh, with a conversation with the disciples about uh, this first parable, which is a lamp. Check this out, verse 21. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Now, real quick, um, this is tough for us because we're not into, we have light switches and things like that, but um, it would be totally insane to put a lit flame under your bed. So don't do that. Um, and, and, and he uses this like, it's almost like sarcasm. I love Jesus. Um, you wouldn't put it under a bowl, go out, things like can't see it. Um, instead, don't put it, don't you put it on its stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So um, this is not supposed to be, this whole kingdom of God thing is not supposed to be a secret society. It's not supposed to be st something that we hide from people. It's not meant to be something that um, is hidden. It's supposed to be spread. It's meant to be uh, uh, communicated and, and shown. And then he says in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. And this is the idea of hearing in the Old Testament is very much obeying. It's like the same um, idea. So when, when Jesus says ears to hear, meaning you have the ability to obey, to do this. He says, consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So a few thoughts on this idea of measures. In uh, Jesus's time period, you would, you would uh, purchase things and consume things based on measures. So it would be measured out to you based on the weights and the scales. So the idea here is, and this is so different than how we think in many ways, in God's kingdom, okay, it is not about what you get, but what you use. 
all right? It's not about um, what you get and, and, and how you're blessed, okay? It's about what you use. So the, the actual Greek sentence here goes like this. If you were to strictly use Greek words, the measure you measure will be measured. The measure you measure will be measured. I don't see any of those tattoos. That's not, it doesn't flow. Okay, and the way you measure out or give out will be measured to you. And so the idea here is that the people who give the most, okay, will have the most. Now, this is uh, careful to think. This is not uh, give money to the church and God will give you money. That's prosperity gospel. It doesn't work. In the kingdom of God, fullness is emptying. In the economy of Jesus, how you, what you give out, okay, it, it, that's the idea. You receive fullness by emptying. And so in verse 20, 25, it says that givers will have more to give, but graspers, hoarders, and keepers will have nothing. So in the language of the kingdom, measure has a lot to do. Um, with our lives and how we live them. Think about these kind of a few different examples. You have knowledge of Jesus. You have, um, Jesus has, has, uh, has affected your life, changed your life, forgiven you, transformed you. You have knowledge of that in your life. How do you grow in your knowledge of Jesus? By giving it away by teaching your children, by volunteering with our youth, by sharing Jesus with a neighbor. It's about that uh, kind of an economy. How do you grow in your faith and allegiance? By continuing to pour out your obedience. Uh, another way, it's like relationships. A lot of people in our time right now are being selective and conditional with their relationships. And here's what, the, here's what I mean by that. If you approach relationships selectively, meaning, is this person going to hurt me? Is this person going to give me what I need? And is this person going to do certain things conditionally for me? Um, then I will let them into my life. Um, and here's the thing. If you approach your relationships like that, you won't have relationships they will end. Uh, married couples, if you treat your spouse, if the, whole, um, if the whole economy of your relationship is getting your needs met, your marriage will end. But if you begin to keep asking this idea of how can I work for their joy? How can I work for their fulfillment? that's when relationships can really head places. And this is the same thing with friendships and neighbors. And I know there's a lot right now of people pushing people away and, and, and not calling people back and cutting people off and things like that. That is not Jesus's economy at all. Here's another one. And, and this is probably the more um, obvious one um, because we're talking about measures, but this idea of money, this idea of, of, of this uh, parable is, is an idea of 
of giving. And, and it's this idea of when you, when you give money away, when you give uh, wealth away in radical proportions, you actually end up disarming greed. You end up uh, disarming the lure of comfort and entitlement and self-fulfillment in your own life. You actually get filled Here's what's uh, nuts right now. I mean, we we just got news that we're all getting uh, stimulus checks. And and I, I don't want to get into the politics of the money thing and this, the bill and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, let's just be honest. Most of us may not actually really need that stimulus check. I mean, if we're honest, some of you, yeah, you've got some things that came up and you're, you're struggling, you're 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 putting trying to put things together some some work stuff has but for a lot of us uh, just based on where we live in our economy and our economics and our uh, suburban life we don't need that money and the question is maybe you can talk about this as a house church what would it look like to pull that together as a house church and do something for people in your community church we've been helping a family a single dad, two boys, living in a hotel since before Christmas. Uh, his name's Jacob, great guy. He's got a job. He's he's getting his kids to school. They're doing homework. They're living in this one-room hotel, trying to pull enough money together. He's got an apartment coming, kind of Section 8 stuff. Half of his rent's going to be taken care of. Um, we're, we've been helping him. Um, some of our house churches has, have done a few things for him. Um, he's going to be moving into apartment hopefully in the next two or three weeks. Um, he's going to need mattresses and furniture and stuff like, how could we come, ac- come around him? How could your house church come around him? And, and there's other ones like Jacob. So like what, I mean, this is just step one stimulus, not even ours yet. What could God do with things like that? Like maybe that could be an, an exercise in our community doing something. Here's the idea. The idea behind the measures things is it's a, not a give to get thing, but it's a give to live thing. So when we give out of our lives, and I'm not talking just financially, but, but when, when our lives become a currency that, that roots for the joy and the life of people, in our lives, um, that we are pouring ourselves out for others. That's how God created us to live. So it's not a give to get thing. It's a give to live thing. And and Jesus is talking about this whole idea of measures. Um, Here's another way to say this. Um, And there's going to be some real hard phrases in this passage because that's, um, that's my job is to say hard things to me and you. If you want to live a stagnant, um, complacent life for Jesus, meaning uh, uh, Jesus is my uh, Jesus in my life, mixed in with my life, kind of thing. The idea here is that just jo- just show up, um, you know, here on the video screen, uh, listening to this, or show up when we begin to meet again as a church, and walk away. Listen, walk away, and do nothing about it. Uh, that's like that's the that's the thing. Don't obey. Just don't serve. Don't give. Don't uh, share. Uh, just listen. 
And the reason why I'm saying that is because Jesus in this parable is talking about hearing. He's talking about obeying. And in God's kingdom, you need to understand that in God's kingdom, the way up is down. The way of real influence is serving. The best leaders are servers. Uh, the way to reign is to submit. Okay? The way to happiness is to look for the joy for other people. Um, the, way, the way to freedom is obeying the Spirit. The, the way to find yourself is to actually lose yourself in the service of God and others. See, it's, the kingdom of God is like this upside-down world. It's illogical. It, it really doesn't even make sense um, to us. I mean, we've been formed to think totally differently. Based on the pattern, okay, Romans 12, of this world. Now, think about it. Uh, for, for those of you who are artists, um, you write music, you draw, you, you do photography, whatever it is. When you uh, grip real hard and you're like trying to make this perfectly unique piece of art. And like I said, that could be a lyric, that could be a, a chord, whatever it is. Yeah, that's not the way to do it. I mean, that's you've, you've figured this out probably, but that's not the way to do it, like to make something totally perfect. As an artist, you actually have to lose yourself in the beauty of, of the actual art, of the actual moment. And it's, it's, it's kind of like this. For those of you in social settings which you haven't been in a while, but if you ever tried to make, like you're, you're, you're walking into, you know it's a social setting, you're trying to make a good impression. Maybe it's a first impression, maybe you're meeting uh, future in-laws, whatever it is, maybe you're trying to make a good first impression on a uh, job interview or whatever. Chances are you're not gonna be making a good impression if that's your whole focus. Like if that's like my, my, my I, I, I want to make a good impression, I'm concerned about it, chances are you're going to make a bad one. It's this idea of, of letting go, of, of, of opening up your hands and trusting. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that it's, it's uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. He doesn't say that. Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom. And all of this will come your way. At the end of, um, well, not quite the end of Mere Christianity, there's this great quote. And I love this. It's a little bigger. I'm going to throw it on the screen. Uh, read this with me. It says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you. All of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit. All of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over 
to me. Give yourself to me and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. Next parable. Verse 26. Jesus says, he also said, okay, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man, a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces the grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So another farmer seed parable. Um, and the idea behind it is whether he's doing anything or not, the seed grows, that things are happening under the surface, that there's this uh, patience of the farmer because he knows that it's out of his control any longer. It says all by itself is actually a Greek word that we get the word automate or automatically. Okay, from it's like no human effort goes into that seed. Okay, and the idea here from Jesus is that God is God is doing the work. That God is a king, he is everlasting God, that he is in charge, that he is working under the surface, that we um, participate, and part of our participation is the fact that we have to be patient. That God is up to stuff, and some of it we can't even see. One of my favorite books of the last 10 years has been a book called The Patient Ferment. A couple of you have read it talks about the early church and how they lived their life and how for many of the early church, it wasn't about growing their attendance. It wasn't about institutions and it wasn't about money and buildings and all that stuff that we've kind of gotten lost up into as in the American church. For the early church, it was about patience. It was about trusting. It was about habits. It was about intentionality. And they didn't write these, um, these documents about, you know, uh, evangelism or all these things, uh, church growth, none of those things. They wrote documents about patience and they passed them around to encourage each other. In 256 AD, Cyprian, one of the early church fathers, uh, he actually wrote a treatise uh, of encouragement to the people. And in it, he writes this, Beloved brethren, he wrote, We are philosophers not in words, but in deeds. We exhibit our wisdom not by our dress, but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. We do not speak great things, but we live them. So his encouragement to them was like, Hey, we don't dress fancy. We don't talk about great things. We just... We just live it. And then he goes on. He says, The church's growth, its life in the way of Christ, 
is distinctive and hopeful. Christians, as Cyprian knew well, were growing in numbers because they were distinct, living patiently in relation to their neighbors and enemies, doing good to them, and waiting for them to come to faith. See, there was like this patient expectation. Uh, just like a, a ferment that was happening in their life. That God was in control, that God was at work, that God was slowly uh, moving and growing and fermenting under the surface what his kingdom is all about. I mean, we get this from trusting and, and just sitting in passages like Isaiah 40 and Psalm 121. Here's Isaiah 40. It says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. God is at work and he's not weary. He does not grow tired. He is everlasting God. He is always relentlessly moving and working. Look at, look at Psalm 121. It's, this is, uh, uh, the psalmist is saying, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is active and watching and present and moving. So in many ways, this idea is as the farmer, he, he, he casts this, he does the seed and, and he trusts that it's coming up. This idea is, uh, for us, it's, it's not about what, um, what we do. It's about who we work for. It's about what we're a part of. And it, at, the, at the center of the kingdom uh, of God is the king is the everlasting God, and he's always pushing forward. He's always moving. In the midst of a world that looks like it's not happening, God is always moving. And it's not dependent on what you and I do, but we get to be a part of it by surrendering our lives. Okay? God trusts us, and we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. God trusts us. He actually puts all of his chips in, in the table and trusts us to be his ambassadors, his, like bearing his authenticity and his love uh, for the world. Um, it, but the reality is, is God is doing the work. And we can either partner with him by surrendering our lives or not. And, and we cannot get ahead of ourselves. He will grow his kingdom with or without us. He just chooses to invite us into it. And so this idea of the sickle and the harvest, it comes out of Joel 3, this idea of harvest. Um, and the reality is that parables have, uh, the parables aren't all pick-me-ups. This idea that, uh, that Jesus is actually, in some ways, critiquing an established way of life here. And he's critiquing us in the sense of uh, what in our life has to get uh, pruned and cut out. That's that quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, because here's the idea. Jesus is king. And we have to remember that. We have to like come face to face with that reality. We belong to Jesus. 
We belong to the king. And, and people ask all the time, and I hear this in conversations, it's not like a, a, a quote, um, but it's like this tone of like, okay, how will this fit into my life? How will the kingdom of heaven and earth fit into my life? Do you hear how absurd that sounds? And I promise I won't be this rude to you as an individual. If you and I were sitting knee to knee, eye to eye at a, I don't know, a, a, a famous coffee shop in the area. By the way, a new one, Sweet Bloom, opened yesterday. Um, I promise I won't be this rude to you sitting to you individually, but I will be this rude to you uh, corporately because that's, that's how we do this. Um, it's this idea of either Jesus is king in your life or he's not. Does that make sense? It's, it's like a, it's, a, it's a one or the other. Um, Jesus has these phraseologies, I wish you were either hot or cold. Um, you're lukewarm, I'm going to just spit you out. I mean, it's just like pick one. Either Jesus is king or he's not. I mean, if Jesus is not king in your life, he cannot help you. But if Jesus is king, he also can't be negotiated with. It's not a life negotiation. Um, I mean, the reality is, is we're all, we're all trying to figure this out all the time. There's this, in our lives, we're always trying to figure out, like, is Jesus king or not? Like, I keep, I keep pulling kingdom back from Jesus. So here's the thing. Here's a picture. In the ancient days, when you came before the king, you would turn your sword a hilt towards the king, sharp part towards you. And it was this very vulnerable posture of saying, you are my king, and I'm radically, in this moment, I'm radically vulnerable to, to you. Now, if you can't trust your king, uh, it, you know, with that kind of a, 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 you know, kind of an image, if you can't trust Jesus to be king, then he cannot help you. He cannot change you. He cannot transform you. But if he is king, and you surrender and you give allegiance, I mean, that's where we get made, remade from the inside out. So if Jesus is king, then you and I no longer have the final say over our money, our sex life. We have no, no, we no longer have say over our, our, our kingdoms. So one last story. Here's the last parable. Parable of the mustard seed. Verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Verse 33, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his, disciples, with his own disciples, he explained everything. Here's the idea behind this small seed, big plant. This idea of this tiny seed you can barely see grows into this huge plant. 
Um, and, and it's not about starting big, it's about the small things. It's about the tiny things, that, that these things that spread slowly and without force um, was contrary to what people in this audience wanted to hear. They wanted to hear Jesus was Messiah and he was putting together an army. And, um, but this is actually how the kingdom works. Very small, um, unimpressive ways in our lives. Um, church, I, I, I meet with church planners all the time. And, and I meet with them. They reach out to me and they're like, hey, you planted a church. I'm like, yeah. Um, by the way, this is our 10th year as a church. And um, some would actually look at us as unimpressive, which is fine. <laughs> we don't have a building. Um, you know, we're not very big. Um, but I love us. Anyhow, church planners meet with me and they're like, okay, here's the plan. Uh, and, th and they'll push across, here's their logo, their church name, their mission statement, their this, their that, their, their, their dreams of having a building, and all the things they're going to do. And, and uh, they want big organization. They're looking forward to, and some of them you can tell they want a little notoriety. They're like, they're like trying to prove that they're worth something, whatever. You know, um, it's a very human thing. We all do it. Um, I've done it. But they always ask me things like, hey, wh wh what do you, what's your advice? And my advice is don't do anything we did. <laughs> it's like we screwed this up the whole way. I said, here's where the power is. The power is the small stuff. It's like small groups of people praying together. You know, little, little tiny bits of obedience as a community, as individuals. This is how our lives work, right? So those little small things that we trust God with, that we obey, that we take that next step, that we, that we surrender. God's kingdom, you know, we talked about this a few years ago. We did a series called Eating with Jesus. And we, we talked about this idea that God's kingdom actually starts with a neighbor coming over for dinner. Right? Like, like the church has, throughout the years, has done this thing where we've moved from the table and then it became about these huge, elaborate sanctuaries. And then it became about great teaching and, and, and like fancy, fancy stuff and logos and lasers. And, and it's really just about our tables. It's really about the little things we offer. I remember this book, Rosario Butterfield, the gospel comes with a house key. And I love this. This quote is so important to me. She says, radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. Just very simple. Very simple things we can do to bring the kingdom now, we've been experiencing this a lot at house churches. And it, what's been crazy is about 80% of our church, some of you are listening or watching to this that are not in a house church, and that's totally fine. We love you. We would love to welcome you into that um, it, at your pace when you're ready. But our house churches have really been, in a sense, a place of transformation and these small little kingdom moments where we've prayed for each other, where we've cared for each other, and, and they're very unimpressive thing, but they have they have far-reaching impact. You know this. You know the the church is changing. 
You know, so many times people have said to me like, um, man, I want to go to a cool church and I want to bring people to a cool church and be, I want to be proud of my church and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, that's great. Um, I, you know, you know, tattooed forearm pastor and, a you know, skinny jeans and, and some humor. Um, that's not the kingdom of God. Okay. That is, uh, the kingdom of God is, is this, the, you know, unimpressive. Um, it's watching, it's watching people serve and care for each other and, and push Jesus into places that have never been, uh, pushed. God is not after your greatness. God is after your faithfulness. He's not after the greatness of restoration. He's after our faithfulness as a church. Period, end of story. It's the little things. It's that one bit of obedience at a time. It's the the spirit of God uh, uh, subtly saying things to you about your neighbor, your, your family, about forgiveness. It's, it's, we, we keep looking for big things. We're no different than the, the, the people who were looking for a big Messiah that would come with an army. We keep looking for big things and we miss the little things. The little things are about trusting and obeying. And then there's this line that it's a kind of a throwaway line, this idea that Jesus says that the birds will perch in its shade, this idea of this mustard seed being a place where birds will perch in its shade. Um, we really don't care about it, but if you were um, a Hebrew um, that was listening to this, you knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. All throughout the scriptures is this idea, the prophets would talk about this tree or uh, the tree stretching to uh, the heavens, this idea of a great world tree, the vision of a great tree connecting heavens and earth, like the, the, the Latin, the spine of the universe, this idea in Daniel 4, a tree in the middle of the earth, a stairway to heaven, Led Zeppelin, a mountain, retelling of the history uh, of the story of scripture. Uh, church, you need to understand that the opposite of heaven is not hell. The opposite of heaven in scripture is always earth. And that God's plan is to reunite heaven and earth. And this image of a great tree is about that reunification. That Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is coming. That this, this kingdom is growing. It's almost like it's connecting from heaven and earth at the same time. And, and so the question for us, restoration, is this. What about us? How about us? What does this mean for us? A lot of times we just listen to scripture as very individualistic. What does this mean for me? How does this make me feel better? No, no, it's about us. What does this mean for us? Well, I think parables are meant to jolt us. I think they're meant to make us uncomfortable. Obviously, they can encourage us and things like that, but I think, I think parables are meant to jolt us out of our apathy. Jolt us out of our wrong thinking about who God is and what his plan is and what he's doing in our lives. And, and to wake us from our slumber. The world has changed a lot in the last year. The acceleration of culture um, towards a more secular, 
uh, individualistic, hyper-individualistic way of looking at life. It's just accelerated it. Community is being chucked. There's just a lot of things going on right here. And many of the people who have followed Jesus for, for decades, um, some of you are listening to this too, you're feeling a bit of frustration or angst or anger or, or sadness at some loss about how the church used to operate um, back in the day. And I want to encourage you that God is still on the move, that, to be patient, that God is still the everlasting God. God is still forming his kingdom, drawing people to him, and God wants to use you. And I think these parables are a jolt, maybe a two by four to the side of the head for us. And I came across a quote just skimming through um, Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and she had a par paragraph in this book that jarred me. And I'm going to end with this quote because at the same time, it jars us and it gives us hope. Listen to this. She says, Instead of feeling sidelined by the sucker punches of post-Christianity, Christians are called to practice radical, ordinary hospitality to renew their resolve in Christ. Too many of us are sidelined by fears. We fear that people will hurt us. We fear that people will negatively influence our children. We fear that we do not even understand the language of this new world order, at least of all, at least of all its people. We long for days gone by. Our sentimentality makes us stupid. We need to snap ourselves out of this self-pitying reverie. Listen to this. The best days are ahead. Jesus advances from the front line. Church, the kingdom of God is advancing. It's advancing. May it advance in your life. And, and may you hear and obey. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning um, as we are hunkered down during the snowstorm. Would you give us the space to reflect? Would you give us the space to honestly reflect on the measure that we measure out and how that will be measured to us? Would you honestly show us how to be patient? Would you show us, like in our lives, where we need to be patient with what you're doing? And God, will you, would you wake us gently or violently from the slumber we've been in to what your kingdom is up to? God, will you show us the small, just the small places that we can hear and obey and get a taste of the fact that you are on the move. You are the everlasting God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.